Welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. This podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Please feel free to hit subscribe, tell a friend about us if you're enjoying the show, and hell, even if not. Today, we are with the rock band South of Eden, who are Ehab, Justin, Tom, and Nick, hailing from Columbus, Ohio. This quartet has already performed alongside everyone from the Foo Fighters to System of a Down and recently released their EP, The Talk, which was produced by Grammy Award-winning producer Greg Wells. So go ahead and check that out. It is awesome. It does not disappoint. We go into it with these guys. We are talking with Ehab and Nick, and we discuss the band's origins, their song creation, Axel Rose's unique recording techniques, and even Dave Matthews' band. You heard that right. So let's get to it with South of Eden. Nick and Ehab, thanks for being on the Song Facts podcast. How are you boys doing today? Doing good, man. How are you? Just, just wonderful, although it's like pretty much winter here. Um... So I think one of the things I want to start with, I'm reading through everything on the website and stuff. First thing, one of the first things that someone reads in your bio is that you all want to remind people what rock and roll really means. And then it says no rules. And so Nick, I'm curious, what does rock and roll mean to you guys as a band? It's, it's just about the attitude, man. It's doing things your way and not letting anybody stop you. Just in terms of the music, the the what you present every, on stage, everything? Every aspect of it. It's yeah. got to be that way. You really want to be rock and roll. Ehab, you have a really unique um, story yourself. So let's talk a little bit about that. You were born in Jordan, moved to the U.S. a bit later. And I'm curious for those two places, what your musical journey has been, just kind of with such distinctly different places of growing up. Yeah, man. So it's it's kind of everywhere, honestly. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be raised on Arabic music and um, you know that kind of style and, and beat and uh, very strange, uh, you know, maybe strange to, to the Western culture uh, style of music, where you know dancing and and interpretive things are kind of what coincide, and you know the scales are are so strange in my opinion compared to just, you know what we play Harmonic now. Minor, baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I was also lucky enough to have parents that did enjoy the Western culture. Obviously, we ended up moving here. But, um, you know, things like Bon Jovi and Michael Jackson and like George Michael, Phil Collins, those people made it over uh, to the Middle East. And <clears throat> I had a huge drawing towards Michael Jackson because his music is so worldly. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many different styles he took from a lot of different people. Um, when I ended up coming here, that's kind of what I – uh, revolved around that and Motown was a big thing. James Brown and, and all those guys was, were absolutely amazing. Uh, when I met this kid, you know, he was like, listen, man, I know you like Lady Gaga and all that fun stuff. <laughs> I actually, that's what I eventually came to as I grew up. He was like, listen, there's this band called, you know, Iron Maiden and Guns N' Roses. And, oh, really? Uh, who are Megadeth. This kid had never even heard rock in his life. And I, I had him come to his audition for my, my band in middle school. 
and I made him learn Rocket Queen by Guns N' Roses. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden. Yep. <laughs> Two of like the highest songs ever. And he did it. And it was I texted was awesome. him. I was like, yo, I, I don't know what they're saying. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> what is, he sent me like the live version of Rocket Queen. I'd never heard of an Axl Rose before. You know, I was like, I was like, why does this guy sound like he's gargling nails, man? What is this? <laughs> like, this isn't Lady Gaga. You know what am I listening to right now? So, I, yeah, that did, was kind of. Uh, it's interesting to me. Do you guys know the story of the recording of that song live? No. So what, what is that's, that's like a, um, I read Slash's book a few years ago. And so it's all based on his memory. What he said is that Axel was in the recording booth getting, um, What's the right? fellatio? We'll say from I think either the bass player or the guitarist girl at the time. I'm gonna have to go back and fact check the shit out of this, but I'm pretty sure that was going on. And that you can, or no, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe he was actually doing the doing the deed with her, and so then he was. I think you can hear her moans if you turn up that live recording long yeah. enough, loud enough. It's in, so it's actually okay. So I'm a, I'm a freak now, of course. Yes. I, you know what you're talking about. And I thought it was in the live recording, but it's actually in the recorded version because I've heard those moans in the bridge. Yes. And I was like, what is that? And I looked it up and it was like, oh, Axel like banged Steven Adler's girlfriend at the time on the couch with my, with the room mics around. And I was like, wow. What? Whatever yeah. it takes to get the recording, you know? It's all about the art, apparently. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Did you always know that you could sing? When did you start hitting those notes that you hit that we that we hear today? I didn't always knew no that I could sing because my parents relentlessly told me that I couldn't sing. Oh no. And so yeah, they were not fans. They were like, You must be a doctor and that was the plan for a long time. And you know, it wasn't until people like Nick were like, Hey man, like, you know, you you're not that good, but I feel like you have something, you know, there's something in there. I was like 15 at the time. It's really when I started getting into it. And uh, yeah, it just took a lot of practice, a lot of blowing my voice out. And, you know, I would really say that like my voice has developed a lot in the last two years. Okay. Um, before that, I kind of sounded like crap. So <laughs> I still have, still have those days, but uh, nonetheless, you know, I, I, it's humbling to hear that so many people, you know, like my voice and, and think that I can do you know, all this stuff, but it's, it's awesome, man. I, I really, I appreciate it. Well, there's probably something there, right? There's years of just being like shot down by the family. And then all of a sudden you're starting to get accoladed. You got this guy who comes up and says like, Hey, come and sing these songs, which are at an extremely high end of the register for a male. And then, um, and then, you know, people gravitate towards it and start liking it. So it's like, okay, how much of this before I've got full confidence and I don't know. That's pretty awesome. Um, I'm really, so the story of how you guys kind of got to be um, a band and started playing together. So you guys had your own band, you two, right? We did back in middle school, high school era. Okay. So then the other two guys were there and doing something and it's something like as well. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like the chemistry is pretty much immediate and I'm, there's a there's a really like i don't know it's kind of a vague story about that first jam where you were you just like started like meshing right away and the chemistry was immediate can you guys kind of take us into that day do you guys remember it i wasn't even there for that i i came along at that time i was in boston playing with another group and i came along maybe a year 
after? Yeah, he okay. Nate came a year down the line. So the original, the, what more or less happened was Nate went to Boston to pursue music, and Justin went to was our guitar player went to yeah. Boston to pursue uh, music as well. He went to Berkeley, yeah. so he had a bunch of friends that were going to Berkeley. They had like this sick band that was out there in Boston. Justin was you know, more or less just studying and doing his thing. And me and Tommy took the remnants of what was left over between the two bands and created this little side project that was just for fun. Um, and Tommy kept telling me about this kid named Justin out in Boston. And I kept telling Tommy about this kid named Nick out in Boston. And, you know, Justin comes for a winter break. <clears throat> I come over because he and Tommy are jamming and they had this song called, I, I mean, it wasn't named yet, but it was the riff for what became I Barely Know Her. Mm-hmm. And we basically like in a week or two wrote this thing that became our, our debut album as a band called Black Coffee, um, which is now being called a demo. It's kind of like what was what was before this was just a three piece. I was playing bass and singing. We were kind of yeah. doing that whole thing. Nick, uh, about, you know, maybe six months later, ended up moving back to Columbus. Um, when it came time, it was like, hey, like I'm tired of playing bass. We need, we need to make this thing real. We need a real bass player, you know, someone that actually knows what they're doing. And we held auditions. And I mean, basically, as soon as Nick said that he wanted to do it, we just stopped auditions. We're like, cool, come on. And as soon as he came in, it was like, you know, this is this guy. Like I keep telling you guys, you know, to have this high bar set for him. Yeah. And I, you know, I was repping him up, and he came in. It was just like cool, what do you guys want to do? It's okay, let's just jam something real quick. And we just jammed who knows what three notes. And it was just like, you know, here's the bottle, here's the lightning. And you're just like, boop, got it. All right, there it is. And and it was, it was intense. It was, uh, it was a breakthrough, I think. One of those, like, everyone's looking around at each other. Like, we're all kind of feeling this. This is, this is happening. Yeah, it's, it was awesome. Good time. Did you, did you know that he had set such a high bar for you? Were you intimidated? Were you like, shit, I really got to do this? That's the first time I'm hearing about that. <laughs> yeah, I never really sat down to talk about that. I don't know. <laughs> does everyone contribute to songwriting? Yeah, everybody does. It's it's a really collaborative process. Um, you know, Nick is Nick is constantly writing. Justin's constantly writing, and so am I. And you know, Tommy is this wild card of a person that you just throw it on top. <laughs> His ideas just span so far. They're like really, really good or really, really bad. So you just gotta. <laughs> it's and, and and no matter what though, it's like we'll do something. We'll figure that out. And sometimes it's like, holy crap, what are you doing? That is never would have thought of that in a million years. I mean, all, yeah. all of us have such such awesome you know, epiphanies and awesome moments with each other and, and without each other. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, you know, here's this song, Morning Brew, like, here's the whole thing, top to end. You know, that's kind of how that song came up. And yep. there's other songs like Solo. Nick has this idea of here's what we have to do and everyone's just like throwing in pieces of the puzzle. So it kind of comes up, you know, in a lot of different forms, a lot of different ways. Yeah. I like that. I think that that kind of makes it a little bit easier rather than just all the pressure being on one person all the time. Totally. 
Um, I'm trying to think now, um, you know, I, I come from a drumming background. I'm, I'm a, not a great drummer, but I, I can keep somewhat of a rhythm. But I really feel like there's no, if you think to rock bands throughout history, it got to have the rhythm section in check. So it's a nice story that you like were vouching for your homie to come up and like put it down. And then he met that expectation. You guys were like, we've got the band now. Did you guys try out anybody else? Was it challenging to find these these four and get all the right pieces together? Yeah, he, he was, <laughs> when they were auditioning, he was calling me consistently, just telling me like who they're trying out and why it went terribly and <laughs> they can't find anybody. <laughs> you know, if you weren't here, I would probably tell that story more like, yeah, man, there were so many people <laughs> and it was going so good. And you know what? Just because you're my pal, I let you in. <laughs> no, it's definitely challenging to find a bass player that like isn't actually a guitar player, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, like not that this kid can't play fucking guitar. It's more like he just completely understands the fundamentals of the bass and not, not only playing it superbly but like just being a master at knowing like here this space needs to be filled by this frequency or you know this is the time for bass fills not not here you know he's he's so about the song you know rather than just being about himself and that's that's really what makes him you know an unbelievable bass player that's really i think that's yeah, I can, I'll keep going. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, second, I mean, it's nothing to what, you know, I used to do on the bass, but <laughs> there is my two cents. <laughs> I, I love it. Just keep loving on each other. That's fine with me. That's what we, we're very loving to each other, but other people that tend to cross us, we're not so loving to. So, you know, we'll, we'll kick your ass, but if you're a good person, we'll also kiss you on the cheek. It's 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> noted um okay so this year you guys dropped um an ep uh when did that come out just june the ep came out in august yeah august 21st okay no i don't think so I, hold on what <laughs> you, you keep going we'll fact yeah, check well i think dancing, <laughs> i think you guys dropped dancing with fire in june July 15th. Okay, yeah, sorry. July 15th. I've got, I've got it all mixed up. But July 15th. And to me, sure. I'm listening to this song and you guys, this opening guitar riff, just, I'm, I literally like sat there today with these noise canceling headphones on and listened to it for the first time today. And I was like, it, it took me to um, Too Fast for Love, Motley Crue from like 81. And I was just like, dude, this is so fast. This is just hitting and then drums come in, everything comes in. And I was this, it was just so high energy. And I was like, this isn't something that you're hearing very often right now. Good work on that. But um, you guys are quoted as to saying that it is a song about conflict, but that you are excited to see how people interpret the song into their own lives. And so one of the things that I thought would be kind of fun to do, and you guys may have already done this because you're nice with, uh, with keeping engaged with your, with, your, with your fans, 
but I want to read some of the reactions I found on YouTube and get your take on them. Cool, cool, man. Yeah, so awesome. Aya underscore eight said, Zeppelin meets Chris Cornell and meets the Black Crows. Oh, <laughs> I feel it. That's that's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. That's that's really that's humbling. It's that's awesome. Do you guys think of that? Does that? I mean, one of the things that you do is like you have this riff, and then you're like, okay, for me, I'm like, okay, where is this going to go? And then it goes into it. You guys have found, I think, a unique sound within rock and roll that's kind of unique to you, and it really does take mixing a bunch of these different people, bands, and things like that together in order to come up with what you guys are doing. So that obviously is um, an attestment to your influences. And are you guys pulling from all sorts of different places, 70s, 80s, rock, everywhere to write these? Yeah, every one of us has different influences, I think, which is kind of the reason it works so well, because Tommy's obviously very influenced by like late 70s kind of stuff. Ehab's a big fan of like Chris Cornell and like 90s, like grunge-ish, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. Justin's kind of all over the place. He loves pretty much everything, especially yeah. Eddie Van Halen. It loves the 80s, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I'm also kind of all over the place, too. I just, I enjoy a lot of, a lot of music. He's post, he's, no, not post, yeah, well, yeah, you're post-2001. Like, you're like a 2005 guy. <laughs> I mean, production-wise, that's my favorite. Yeah, he is. Like, Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Like, that's, <laughs> but, but that's what makes Nick Nick, man. <laughs> it's always good to keep that individuality okay so then we have ash who said not to be a mom but please take care of your voices think more getty less robert <laughs> how do you take uh, 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 how do you take uh, that advice yes yeah, that's really good advice i've just kind of decided that when i'm in my 30s that I'm just going to change the way I sing because I'll have blown my voice out by then. I've just kind of accepted it, to be honest with you, because I'm like, dude, listen, like Robert Plant, right? Now, we didn't get, really get to see what Bon Scott did, but you, you can talk Robert Plant, Brian Johnson, Axl Rose, M. Shadows, David Lee Roth, you know, Sammy Hagar is just starting to teeter. But like yeah. all these people, like you can't do it forever. Like unless you're like Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio did it forever. Right? <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio didn't warm up. There's stories of this man making fun of people for warming up while he smoked a cigarette and he's drinking like a glass of white wine, you know, and that's Ronnie James Dio. That was just a God, you know, and, and there's people like him, but I think Robert Plant's a God. And even though he sings, you know, completely differently now, I think he, he's an amazing live performer. And for me, it's like, I'm just going to use what I have while I have it kind of a yeah. mentality and I later like down, the block, you know, if I end up sounding like Johnny cash later, it is what it is. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, I Dio mean, was like four foot 10 too. So he probably got some bonus from that because he just like, he was, they gave him such a little stature that he just was like, we're just going to give this guy the biggest longevity of voice that we can. Literally. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Back to that comment. Though, I don't particularly think, Getty Lee's style of singing would be a good match for
<laughs> what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It works. It works for Rush, but I, I don't think it'd work in this situation. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's just a, it's such a unique voice, right? It's just such a, I don't know. I, I can't even like, you can't place it. It's just Getty. So then hey. this, is, I think this was one of my favorite ones that I read because this was uh, Tony Wallace <laughs> who says, hell yes. I love rock and roll. Once again, fellas, you have blown me away. I am a councilman of the great city of Eden, Idaho. Population, 420. <laughs> this guy. Feel free yes. to drop by. I will buy drinks and stuff and show my citizens what rock and roll is all about. Do you still have my number? Yeah, we did. We messaged him a couple times. We're trying to get out there, man. Yeah, man. We, we, we know that we have to play a show out there. It was meant to be. Uh, there's not a lot of chances like that ever, but that is literally one of my favorite comments ever. I remember reading that one. That's that's so cool. I was we are glad. absolutely out there. <laughs> south of the city. Right. And I mean, when you're reading through these things, I think one of the cool things that you guys must notice is like, wow, we've got like what we were kind of talking about before we started recording was um, the international aspect of it. You guys were like posted this thing about that they've got a show coming up in Dublin, Ohio, we'd like to confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I made the mistake of thinking it was Dublin, Ireland, along with a bunch of other Irish fans. But as you're reading through these, you've got you guys got fans in Argentina. Um, I think I saw somebody else in Central America, just all over the place. And I mean, that's just got to feel so cool that your music can get so far spread. Yeah, there's there's a couple in Japan too, which is yeah, it's amazing. it's I, we've we've had to translate from German. We've had to translate like there's a French radio station that plays us. There's you know, there's Australian fans and there's there's Jordanian fans, there's Middle Eastern fans, there's all kinds of stuff. It's it's like super, super cool, especially on Spotify where you can go and you you can see how many people in each country are listening. Yeah. It's just like mind blowing that, you know, you can you can spread so quickly and you can do things so fast like that. We can't wait to you know, for the world to open up so that we can start touring again and show America what it's all about and eventually show southern america and show europe and make it to dublin ireland and yeah. do the whole show you know do you ever just like sit here and think about how big the world actually is stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this so here's a quick question for you are you registered to vote well headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get fans to vote. To update or check your voter registration status, go to headcount.org where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. It's coming up fast, so do it now. Register to vote at headcount.org. You really get on your on your I get Google Maps and, and like zoom out all the, all the way. <laughs> it's crazy to just like like zoom out a little bit and then just scroll and try to go to like other countries. You have to scroll forever. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the world yes, is huge, and the I fact agree. that it's like all over is just nuts. He has stone thoughts when he's not stone. That's that's, that's Nick. I think more people <laughs> should have stone thoughts when they're not stone because we get so wrapped up in thinking the same thoughts over and over again. And I think that's a really good thought process of just like, and then you're like, God, how big is this fucking Pacific ocean? Um, Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys did a couple of, um, of pretty big um, things before the world shut down. But one of the ones that I'm most curious about was your opportunity to play um, kind of alongside the Foo Fighters. Tell me about how that came to be. I don't know how that came to be. It was just awesome. Yeah. It happened. 
Uh, yeah, so they were playing. So there was the Danny Wimmer festivals, um, and in they happen all across America. And that's like Sonic Temple it used to be called Rock on the Range, the Epicenter that used to be called Carolina Rebellion. There's uh, Aftershock, Louder Than Life. There's all these festivals that happen across America, mm-hmm. and we were playing Epicenter, which was the debut of Epicenter, and we're playing Sonic Temple, which was also its debut. And they got the Foo Fighters on there. System of a Down was on there. There's all these awesome, great bands. And we like we were able to land main stage at uh, Sonic Temple, which was you know a huge, huge honor. Cool. And we were uh, we actually were the first band to play Epicenter, which was another you know amazing honor. Uh, so all these things were happening for us and. Foo Fighters are there, all these different bands are there and, and we're able to, you know, like share, share the same space and just be able to, I don't know, feel like we were doing something right, if that yeah. makes sense. It's kind of like a pinch me later moment, you know, like, let's just, let's get this done and, and be pros and freak out when we get back in the bus kind of yeah. thing. But it was, it was really cool to be able to do, do those festivals and, and play shows when that was allowed. Yeah, I can I can only imagine what that'd be like. You know, I've only seen Foo Fighters one time, but they I left there and my buddy and I both looked at each other and we're like, I just feel like Dave Grohl's like my best friend right now. And he does something to connect with audiences that I would just think as someone performing and on their way up like what you guys are doing, I'd probably look at that and just be like, What is this secret sauce that this man's dealing with? He's got it. Whatever it is, he has it for sure. <laughs> he really yeah. does. Um, he seems like an amazing person. Yeah. No, he's just cool as fuck. Um, how was working with Greg Wells? It was wild. Yeah, absolutely. Opportunity. Yeah, man. Super, <laughs> super, super crazy. Uh, yeah, he, he is the wizard. That's what we dubbed him. Um, apparently, someone else also dubbed him the wizard. So, <laughs> you know, apparently that we weren't the only people that think that. Um, what's really crazy about the guys is how laid back and how hands-off he is with things. He let us yeah. do everything that we wanted to do and more he helped us achieve a lot of things that we wanted to do that we didn't really know how to do um including like recording to tape and i mean we we, we knew how to do that but we never really had the budget or any of that kind of stuff to do it so he um he really coached us and guided us not only in, in a musical aspect but honestly just in a music business aspect and yeah. in a, a life aspect you know he was a mentor to us we went and basically lived in la for like three months and we were just close quarters with the guy, you know, in, in studios and, and doing everything that we did. <clears throat> it was, it was such an honor, you know, and we learned a lot. Yeah, it's just unreal. The whole thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, just like seeing that kind of thing come together and it just is like, it just is these little checkpoints for you guys as a band coming up, right. Of like, we're, we're this is another level and this is another level and it's gotta be just so much fun and, and excitement to see it come to come together. And one of the things that I'm a huge fan of with music that you guys do so well is dynamics within your songs. And so I want to talk about the latest release, the talk, because there's plenty of it. And the verse and the chorus just have such a strong contrast. And um, you have, can I, it just kind of sounds like a young Ozzy that you're channeling in this tune. And I'm just curious what you can tell us about the makings of this. Uh, I appreciate it, man. You know, that's, that's an awesome compliment. You know, not a lot of people compare me to Ozzy. So thank you because I love Ozzy. Um, yeah, man. Not like, Oh no, 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 totally. Yeah. I'm, we're talking about Sabbath right now. And I, I absolutely, I actually, I know more Sabbath than I do Ozzy. You know, that's, that's, 
how I got introduced honestly into the sixties was, um, was through Sabbath. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I I personally felt like this song, you know, I've called it like our future song because of the fact that it was written last year, but the lyrical content is, seems to be very much relatable to nowadays. Definitely. Um, Interesting. And when it was written, you know, when it when it was written, it was definitely a the first thing that was written in that song. Um, you know, after the music, the music came very fluidly. That was actually probably the one that Greg contributed the most on. He was like, "Listen, I have this. You know, I've been working with you guys for a few days. I have this idea in my head. We didn't even want to write it. Yeah, no, we didn't even want to do it. <laughs> we're like, we're like, oh, that's that's kind of major because we're we're all fiddling on acoustic guitars, you know." So Greg had this idea and he had like, he could hear something that we weren't hearing yet really. And he was like, plug in an electric guitar and listen to this riff. And it was da, 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 right? This very major happy sounding riff. And it took about five minutes of us getting our hands on it and kind of just twisting it and making it this, you know, kind of raunchier thing. And you, you know, from that riff to the verse that in my opinion, an iconic baseline and just do, 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 perfectly into this verse. And that beautiful, soft, you know, sultry guitar that was happening, the first lyric that was written, it was like, as the melody was being written, you know, in these trying times. So I knew very, very early on that this song is about the scope of what's happening, what's been happening for the last eight years, 12 years in our climate. Honestly, what's been happening since like early 2000s, you know, with, with America and with our political climate, with our governmental climate, with just the way that businesses are, are running things the way that parents are now teaching things i mean that song is really uh it's about the man being a hypocrite you know and that that man is your parent or your boss or you know whoever's president at the time regardless of what party regardless of what race regardless of any of that yeah. at the end of the day it's like to me it seems like all they do is talk you know it just seems like no matter what what end you're going through it just ends up being you know funneled into the same thing so it's a song about kind of analyzing that and kind of the, the message of the whole thing is think for yourself, you know, is look around, you know, take, take the goggles off and, you know, think macroscopically yeah. rather than analyzing everything right here in front of your face. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, when I was listening to it and I kept this one lyric just kept hitting me and it was the fearless, fearful, faithless, you decide and it's kind of that's that's what I kept hitting with. And it just says exactly what you said, like there's all this going on, but it's still your decision to decide where you're going to go with it and kind of giving the power back to the person that's listening. So really well done lyrically. I'm curious, Nick, do you guys think a lot about dynamics musically in terms of like having those nice, soft, tender moments throughout a song and then just hitting it hard? It, it honestly starts in the practice space when we're in writing sessions, because that is one of the most important things, in my opinion, about making an awesome song is the dynamics of the whole thing. Agreed. So, yeah, a lot of times we'll start we'll start with a riff, and whether it be an upbeat, fast-paced, aggressive thing, we'll always, at least I always try to 
have a part that's the exact opposite to start out with. Yep. And then if we need, need to, we, and we find a way to bridge them. But my writing process is, yeah, all about dynamics all the time. I love it. Keep that up, especially in the live shows. That's the kind of stuff that just gets people. I think that's probably why those, um, all these EDM shows and stuff like that are hidden so hard because people just like get, Ooh, and then all of a sudden it's just this build, but it works even better with live instruments. And I think and a lot really of people that go to those, if they saw that with live music more, they'd be like, Holy crap. Yeah, well, it shows off his talent too. Cause he's a very dynamic singer and he has definitely an awesome, like soft register as well as that like crazy scream that you can do. <laughs> Thanks. But when you can showcase both of those, it it makes for a great uh, great outcome well there's that scream and then what's the, there's this little you do this little michael jackson thing at the end of some of your screams too and yeah man <laughs> yeah, they, yeah i agree man it's a little that little fucking uh, <laughs> i have a compilation we did a, a live stream or a virtual oh, concert God. the other day and i had this, i was listening to his vocal track from the whole thing and I, he did that probably 40 times in the, across the recording. Yeah. And I pulled every one of them out and made a whole compilation. It's just like, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> yeah, I don't really have, one of them is literally like an R2D2 scream. It's just so that, high. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I guess they, they call that a, they call that a whistle voice, right? It's like a whistle register. Cause it sounds like, oh, yeah, but you're really kind of like, and you can just you control it and shift it around and, and move the pitch. And so I just kind of put it at the end of my things to, you know, I don't know, put a little extra flavor on there. Well, it's something I do not understand. Uh, but How I, a human voice can do that. I don't get it. I have this vision of like being in line at the grocery store and like he's practicing that behind me in line. And I'm just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> probably happened to somebody. Yeah. Some my, poor my, guy. That's probably why my parents told me I couldn't sing. They were just like, you just make noise, man. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, what's, your, what's your throat doing, bro? <laughs> All right. I've got three more for you guys. And these are um, two of them that I've been asking everybody. And then a third one is unique to you guys. But this is also a unique question because I haven't written one like this before. But um. <laughs> If you had to listen to one band the rest of your life, which one would that be? Do you want to start this? <laughs> I feel like our answer might be that. No, no, I know what your answer is. You know what my answer is. I do know what your answer is. I'm going to say and Avenged Sevenfold. Sevenfold? Yep. Okay. Say that. That is who I thought he was going to pick, but then I thought he was going to pick Dave Matthews Band. Oh, shit. Because I, I have to pick Sevenfold as well. I changed my answer. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so much material. I, so good. I would have picked Dave Matthews, or I'm sorry, I would have picked Avenged Sevenfold literally any time, but then I remember Michael Jackson. I'm like, mm. no, Michael Jackson. Definitely Michael Jackson. I, okay, I, you're dude, going with I, MJ. Yeah, I got to go with MJ. I got to go with MJ. He's, oh, man. There's just so much stuff because you have – you know, his entire career to go through. And that's something <laughs> that you've got to consider with the question. Why? I'm curious. I think we know why MJ, why Sevenfold? I'm actually, I'm changing my answer to Dave Matthews Band.
he's not yeah, i'm sorry we're not joking that's that's no, it yeah, sounds like sarcasm but he he <laughs> lo- i'm not kidding he loves dave matthews band he like he could probably rattle off 20 songs right now he's, i can't he's, count on these hands how many times i've seen them live or my toes so you're a fan too yeah I was back in like 2002, 2005 era. Like I've been to, I've seen him at Alpine Valley probably at least a dozen times in a few other places around the country too. That's awesome. They're they're incredible. That drummer is just unbelievable. Dude, yeah. His snare tone is, that's what really makes it for me, honestly. Yeah. It's just the snare drum sounds. Little two-step. Oh, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next is, um, and let's do this. Let's have you guys answer for each other. That's more fun. Um, what is one song you wish you would have written? Uh, if I'm going to be Ehab right now, I'm going to say, Welcome to the Jungle. That's the song I wish I would have wrote. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, I think the song that Nick wishes that he would have wrote. Oh, man, dude. You have no idea how much music this dude listens to. It's all so weird <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> oh, man, what do you love, man? This is I'm making this way too hard. But, I okay, I think that Nick wishes that he could have written the theme song to National Treasure. big nick cage fans who is and he yeah right exact thank you but national treasure is just one of these phenomenons i actually i have <laughs> a, a version of finding charlotte which is one of my favorite tunes from that soundtrack that i, I kind of chopped up and made it into <laughs> yeah. like a hard rock song oh yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. i actually should probably work on oh getting my the God. clearance to release that because it's actually really sick it actually is kind of sweet, dude. That's awesome. That's one where it has like clips from the audio from the movie. Yeah, yeah. I put that in there too. <laughs> Maybe we'll send that to you, just just for you. If you send it to me, I will put it on this podcast. Oh, dude, it's you coming. Might have just a snippet of it. You got it. <laughs> send me thirty seconds of it, and I will I will do the end of the show. We'll just we'll just ride off into the sunset on that tune. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. All right, third one. This is the last one. And this is a question. I, I was trying to just think of this because of the situation that we're in in the world right now. And so let's play out a scenario. COVID's over. World is back to normal. The new normal, but normal. You can go, you can do one of these two things. You can go and record an album at the studio 
and with the producer of your choice or head out on the road, tour bus, playing dream venues, one year world tour, which one would you guys choose and why? On three, ready? One, two, three, world tour. tour. Yeah. I kind of thought so. <laughs> yeah, it's like 50% because that seems like the sweeter option and 50% because we are cooped up in a house right now. So it's like, we want to get on the road so bad. We want to be touring so bad. That was now, my thought is like, most people would be like, if you gave them some sort of scenario and vacation was one of the options, they would just take it. Yeah, exactly. Touring is closer to vacation. Uh, I don't know. It's not really, it's like a shitty vacation kind of. <laughs> like but the in between the shows is of course what we're talking about. Because in yeah. between, you're like sitting on a shitty bed as you're driving down the highway, you know what I mean? But but uh studio is work it is hard work it's like you know focus and sweat and you know sometimes justin cries so there's even tears and so <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool no, but uh, I, mean, I probably would have guessed that answer too i'm glad you guys were on the same page or else there might have been a little rift there and you guys just got done recording what for three months over last winter so yeah exactly right you got to go play these songs for the people um Guys, thanks so much. I wish you the best of luck. I had a great time chatting with you, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I know you got some more um, people to talk to today, so I just appreciate you giving us some time. Dude, I appreciate you uh, wanting to talk to us, and seriously, thank you. Your questions were freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah very well done. This was great. Yeah, thank you very much, man. All right, big thank you to Nick and Ehab of South of Eden. Go and check them out, guys. Great tunes. These guys are awesome. Once people are start gigging again, it's definitely a live show you got to see. As always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Here is Nick's version of Finding Charlotte.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 